It's we gotta get we gotta get crack a lacking. Crack a lacking. You got guests. I don't know when these people are coming back. In hours. Hours. We well, hours. then we, we can hours. just stretch out. We can we stretch can. out on this. <laughs> uh, so, how are you doing today, Kyle? Are you doing well? Yeah, I'm a little tired. I haven't been sleeping great, and I don't know what it is. I have like a a, a lingering cough from sickness, like from weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And so it keeps me keeps me up a little bit. And so I'm sorry. It's okay. What are we gonna do about that? We got to get you in drugs. Well, yeah, but I mean that, that's 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 a palliative, and we're pro palliatives here. But we we want to get past the palliative state, yes, into yeah. the feeling well state. Well, and I'm I'm feeling okay. Um, we, we've got a lot. Of, we're, we're hosting people. I need to finish Katie's podcast today, Uh-oh. which comes out Tuesday. You're, you're working hard. I've got a podcast. You're working hard. Out I'm hardly working. I mean. <laughs> there's too much and i'm not getting paid enough for any of it and so it's, i'm not paying you anything you're not paying me anything I'm not paying this you is shit this is pleasure this is not worth uh so i actually it's funny actually i have my family coming into town on tuesday so oh, we're wow. all we're all entertaining although i guess it's spring break time which is probably That's why they're here That's which is probably what the uh the common denominator here uh so a little bit of news a little bit of breaking news here uh in the eyes of the matrix in the eyes of the algorithm kyle we've completely merged you and i there is no kyle and ben there's simply one entity yes and the evidence for this is that uh, kyle <laughs> it does sound like it does bile. sound like it doesn't well, bile is bile is funnier kyle does sound like an artificial intelligence from a science fiction movie that does sound like a like a robot yep. like like a after yang style robot For but sure. so a couple of days ago I started being served ads for something on the internet, which could only be intended for you for something called Power Trip. Are you going to Power Trip, Kyle? <laughs> I don't have the money to go to Power it's Trip. It's very expensive. Is, I, did you I, look it up? I yeah. looked at it. Yeah, I mean, your entry level is six hundred dollars to get in the entry door. Entry level six hundred dollars. It's three days, so I mean, it's two hundred dollars a day. And uh, I know what they're going to do. They front load it. For everyone who wants to go to all three days, and then there's going to be leftover. Each day, they're going to have individual tickets. So if you want to go on Friday to see Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden, which actually, I think, uh, well, I think the third day might, might be the best. What is Guns N' Roses now? Uh, who is Guns N' well, Roses? Well, it, it is three original members. It's Slash, Duff McKagan, and Axel. Oh, uh, I didn't. I, I didn't know that it was Axel and Slash. Yeah, I thought Axel I didn't know Slash. that they were working together. Absolutely. I, the only the yeah that we're we're missing Izzy. I think. And well, I mean, I mean Axel and Slash are the. I mean, that's the key, that right? The key. That's the. That's I saw the heart. them. I saw them a couple years ago at the Hollywood Palladium, and uh, even though they did the tr- the traditional Guns N' Roses thing that they did back in the day, which they were supposed to start at uh, at eight p.m. They didn't come on until 10.30 p.m. They make the audience wait two and a half hours, and then they play for two and a half hours. Uh, other than the waiting, um, it started to go. I started to go, is it going to be worth it to see this old band play? They are pretty phenomenal. They are pretty great. Um, so, yeah, the first night, yeah, Power Trip. First night's Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden. Second night is ACDC, who haven't played a show since 2016, and Brian Johnson is back in the band. Uh, unfortunately, Malcolm is dead. I think they have uh, their drummer, their original drummer, who <laughs> who went to prison for trying to have his wife murdered. <laughs> Rock and, and roll comes at a cost, man. Ozzy Osbourne, who announced this year that he's no longer going to tour 
but clearly it has in mind to do one-off shows uh, since he's doing Power Trip. And then the third night is Metallica and Tool, which is that that's right up my alley. Um, the answer is no. I am not going to this show because I just can't afford it. But also, I mean, you got to drive out there. You got yeah, yeah, to have to yeah. find a place to stay, which that costs money, but also it's a pain. Yeah, because this is the polo polo. This is where field. they do Coachella. Now they, they, they do, do Coachella. now they do all these sub Coachellas. They do Coachella for old people. Coachella for like people who like country music. Yes, Coachella for people Coachella. like you know hard rock or metal or whatever we want to call this. The power trip, power yeah. music, power music. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a heavy metal night. Uh, uh, festival and uh, and I think they're filling it out with a lot of other bands, but they're sell they're pre selling on the headliners right now. Yeah, presumably there's gonna be other. Oh stuff. no, a- absolutely. I think uh, and so although it looks like just one stage, I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. The point yeah. is that the, they think I, I'm you. I that's the key that point. That's that the key takeaway. You you're around me enough, and I say things that now the yes, algorithm the, thinks. It's yes, you. The, my phone hears you talking about heavy metal music and it's like well these people must must love heavy metal music yes. i always every year i threaten to go to coachella because i feel like i should go once mm-hmm. i feel like as a southern since i've adopted southern california i live in southern california i will live in southern california i think for the foreseeable future barring you know something shocking or surprising uh i feel like i should go once yeah and then i don't go i've it never seems been like such a production but yet I mean, I've sort of sworn off concert festivals. I kind of hate concert festivals. festivals I think that they're, I think that they're a really suboptimal way to experience live music. I agree. I, I agree. think I think the the small to medium sized club is the optimal way to experience yeah. live music, right? But a lot of the bands and then everything that, that every, and then it goes out from concentric circles from there. But oh. some place like that's a purpose built concert venue that's not huge, like say the Palladium, like you mentioned. Yeah. Those places are good places to see shows, and L.A. has 50 places yes, like, of that, of various sizes with various kinds of characters to that, them. That's what I aim to do with my concert going, my limited concert going funds these days. It's It's been tough to make the decisions, tough to say, say who I'm going to see, why, and what, what, what the best value is. Uh, I mean, like, at the same time that Power Trip is happening, Aftershock is happening up in Sacramento, arguably more worth your money. It's only $300 general admission, four days, and uh, Metallica's not playing, but Tool is, and I think Guns N' Roses is. Like, you're you're getting a, a, a... you do have to go up to Sacramento, but they're doing hotel deals. You get like spend a hundred dollars. You get it for the four days. Like it's $25 a night. Like they're doing deals. Well, that's smart. I mean, that's I not, like that. Obviously the economy is tightening and I mean, that's an advantage to doing in Sacramento is you can do it cheap. Yeah. Because I'm sure Sacramento has a lot of accommodations, right? Because that's where California government is. So they need lots of hotels and for shit sure, like that. For sure. And if the government's not doing anything, then all that shit stuff shit's uh, vacant. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like if I were looking at going to power trip, I actually would probably spend the money to go to aftershock because it's got incubus, uh, Queens of stone age. Uh, there, I, they, they, there's a variety of bands that they've already done the entirety of the lineup that I like, you know, from the lower end to the top end. I would probably do that over going to this is a pro aftershock podcast trip. here. Yeah. We could take an aftershock over power trip. But I am I am with you. I'm kind of anti festivals. It's just a lot. Yeah. It's exa- like four days. By that fourth day, you're just gonna wanna die. Yeah. Like you're just gonna yeah. wanna be like, I can't I don't care. 
I don't care if like Led Zeppelin is playing. Like just let. I just want to <laughs> Re- rest. Reunited Led I Zeppelin wanna, on the fourth day. You're like, I just don't I give just, a shit. I, it's just too much. <laughs> it's too much. Although I mean, these single stage ones like are easier to deal with, right? Yeah. Because I'm used to the ones where there's like 20 stages and you're walking kind of from half a that mile. That is aftershock. Sometime. There are. Four stages. Yes, four is manageable, right? Like I went to, the the only one I've been to in any sort of recently is there's this one that Eddie Vedder does called Ohana down down somewhere south of, some South Bay or wherever. I don't remember where it was, but uh, somewhere to the south of here. And uh, then it's just just like two stages right next to each other where they go back and forth. So it's, it's really just like a... A logistical thing where they can set up one band and they can go boom, boom, yeah. boom, which is actually a smart way to do it. I, um, I, I'm I, in favor, and I don't know why they don't do it anymore. I remember going to uh, K-Rock hosted a uh, fe- festival per se, but it was one night, uh, numerous bands called Acoustic Christmas. I think they still do it. And back in 2002, I went. And they had a rotating stage, well, and so cool. as soon as as soon as Audio Slave, which I saw, like who, who was amazing, it's Rage Against the Machine members with Chris Cornell, it was incredible. It was one of their like first shows. Uh, they as soon as they end, stage rotates and Queens of the Stone Age starts. It's That's like smart. It, it's like Keep amazing. It it's moving. amazing. Keep uh, it moving. Yeah, uh, obviously, so I think, that I can handle. Like a one day, one stage, or two stages, like right next to each other, whatever. That's like okay. You can you can get me interested in that, but the whole yeah. like the whole like big festival like Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, Coachella, uh, Austin City Limits. I've been to. Uh, that's just too much, you know. And it's it might be so our age. I, th- I think that is a experience. Oh yeah, for the you, young. you you outgrow that. Yeah. You outgrow that you because you just do. like. I don't want to be like standing online forever to get food, standing online forever to take a shit. Uh, feeling like it's hard to like get water. I mean, obviously, like the Woodstock '99 experience is like the which of which had like several documentaries made about it, like in a row. Um, th- that may be an extreme example, but it's not like uh, it's of a type. Yes, right. With absolutely. what you're getting yourself absolutely. into, and the only way to avoid that is if you pay like even more money to get some sort of like VIP experience which then yeah whatever yes if you just which got you, fuck you money i'm right? not yeah that's fuck you money if i had more money i would i, I don't know i maybe hire one maybe of these bands. you'd hire them to play your birthday that would be amazing yeah that would be amazing i have i have lower aims than that like i have like a band from like new jersey that i'm like a part of their street team i'll be like i'd love them to play my wedding or them to play my birthday party. Yeah, yeah yeah that would be great i i don't need guns and roses or iron maiden to play my birthday <laughs> i mean it would be funny it would be funny though. it would be funny it'd be a story <laughs> So we're talking movies, we are. allegedly. allegedly. I mean, well, we can talk about whatever. Yeah. This is our show. If you don't like it, turn it off. Turn yeah. it off. No, don't turn it off. We'll keep listening. We're talking about a movie. We're going to talk about uh, a, maybe the movie, as in the movie that came out this week, yes. that had the biggest yeah. release this week. And, and it won the box office. Won the box office. Surprisingly, after you know, John Wick having such a substantial lift, but uh, this didn't do as well as John Wick last weekend, but it still beat its sophomore week. So yeah, T- it, tough it, to tough to win a second week. That's right. True. That's, Two weeks you, in a row. You gotta, you, you know, it's got to be either an enormous movie or kind of a dead point in the dead calendar. Point in the calendar yeah. And now we're we're into pretty much like one big. I feel like we're into sort of one big week of movie. I don't I know, one so. big movie a week. Strike that, reverse it. 
uh, I don't know, maybe until the fall. I don't really know. I, I don't always look at the calendar. I mean, that 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 is what what it looks like. Uh, you know, some some here or there off, but uh, but yeah, that's so, the design. So I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was um, a teenager, like an early teenager, uh, like thirteen, fourteen. So I guess I'm the target market for this movie. I, I am so. the target market for this movie. Uh, so obviously you should listen to my opinion. I agree. And uh, I was going to deter, like you know, give you the lead because I have peripheral experience with role playing games. Kyle you know. used to beat up nerds, I used right? To and beat he would up take nerds. their books and tear them up in front of them. And so I got a bit of knowledge. Force feed from them that. their polyhedral <laughs> dice. <laughs> no, I've played some role playing games. No, Kyle is games. very nice. Kyle is a very nice person. He's never bullied anyone. Well, that's not. That's not a hundred percent true. You bullied someone. You were well, a bully, Kyle. So, so I was in the. I'm mi- have to cancel you. No, we have no. to stop this podcast right now. This is a dynamic that I think a lot of people find themselves in. Oh, your brothers don't count. You can bully your brothers. No, no, no. Um, when you're in, you're not popular, and you're not in the lower. Like you're not the unpop, like the the unpopular, the noted unpopular dynamic in like junior high. This is the p- when you're petit in the middle, bourgeois. this is the petit bourgeois. Petit bourgeois. <laughs> Of when you middle start of high school social life, yeah, when you start to get bullied, you almost like pivot and like util, utilize it to to, to target the shit other rolls person. downhill. Shit rolls downhill. Yeah, That's and true. I'm not proud of it, but uh, but I didn't want to be bullied, and I was, and I was. So so when you had that experience, you're like, well, if I can pivot and direct it somewhere else, hurt people, hurt people, Kyle. Yeah, I know. Let's do it. We're very therapeutic. Here. I know. Well, we I, don't have enough money. We can't go to concerts. We are bullies, or bullied, or both. Both. Yeah, bullies bullied both. Sure. That does sound, but where the bullies bullied the both. That, that sounds like um like a a concept metal album that I, we could where make. The bullies bullied the both. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like this. That. I like this. No, uh, but but I no, yeah, I I didn't like bully bully. Like I wasn't, I didn't target anybody. But I you were definitely Scud Farkas. I wasn't Scud Farkas. Or what, who's this Toady? Um, uh, oh, he's got a great name. He laughs. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll remember it. Uh, one of the great movie bullies, Scud Farkas, who gets, probably yeah. gets his comeuppance as movie bullies often do. Often they do. don't always do it in real life. Uh, so I am the target market for this movie. I think it's safe to say. Um, I think that this is a pretty good movie. It's pretty good. I think that. So we talked about John Wick last last week. John Wick four, and that's a great movie. How great it is, I don't know. Like, greatness of things has to be decided uh, after some time. Yeah. Right? How great. Like, I, I'm, I'm prepared to say it's great, but it, how great it is, you know, you got to see it again. You got to think about it. You got to let it settle in. How does it linger with you? I mean, one one measure of the best movies I see in any given year is that they stick with me, and I, I find myself thinking about them weeks and months down the road they sort of worm your way into the brain you know Lydia Tarr is this character that you find yourself thinking about from time to time right like what a strange and interesting character that's kind of a measure of that movie's greatness right is how it kind of insinuates itself into you in some place deep and that can be intellectual or aesthetic John Wick seems to me the movie that will sort of insinuate itself into you aesthetically. Like you find, like we were talking about last week, you find yourself saying, I, I want to kind of go into that world. Yes. I'd like to like be in that room and kind of be there. It's it's just sort of aesthetically um, has this mimetic quality, not memes, you know, like we think of on the internet, but the actual idea of memes, like it, it, it kind of gets in your mind yeah, and yeah. can't get out. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I don't think is that. No. I, I don't... 
but it does, but it is in the category of movie like if someone wanted to watch it, I'd watch it. If someone if it came on yes. the TV, I mean we don't yeah. really watch movies on TV anymore. Where you flip around and see something on TNT, you're like, oh, I could watch this for a while. I could come into it halfway and watch it for a while. This movie has that quality to it. Well, and and in the great way that adventure movies, uh, and and you know you could say Dungeons and Dragons as like a as a game, and it brings people to give background and investment and it has an adaptive quality certainly there's a direction you go but it can kind of change form i like that this movie in that way that you could walk into the middle of it and proceed to understand sort of what's going on because it it is hitting it's hitting the familiar in a very interesting way with the idea of adventure movies because the it's chapter-esque it it has episodes uh even though it has a long arc and there is that long direction it has these deviations these these chapters and uh detours that make something like role-playing very fun and i think that they've captured an essence a spirit of it i don't know if it's great I, i i agree with you it's good I think the underlying drama is a bit absurd. I don't necessarily believe it. But once it hits this tone, like the first 30 minutes for me were the roughest. Like even though there was charm and Chris Pine and some of the characters. They do the Guy Ritchie trick. Yes, they do the Guy Guy Ritchie trick. trick. They do like the chopped up flashback where it kind of gets a little muddied and they kind of replay stuff and do that joke. It's a good trick to steal. I mean, good trick you know, credit to steal. Where credit's due. Yeah, and I like that they they have the energy, they have the personality, they have the charm, and they're they're kind of leaning into the tone, which is kind of classic. It reminds you of uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. I think it's Barry Sonnenfeld did the Mummy, and then you you know we have Pirates of the Caribbean. You know the first one. You know uh, the Curse of the Black Pearl. I those we've lost some of those like we keep trying those iterations but this one locks itself into that kind of fun yeah it's true we've talked about this adventure movies are really kind of a lost genre in some ways i mean you know i was reared on the indiana jones movies which are some of the best um fellowship of the ring right is that is is probably one of the best of like you know any sort of i mean how recent is that but like in the yeah i mean 22 years ago Yeah, I mean that—that's an adventure movie. Yeah, um, in the classic sense, right? Like where it's about like going on this particular journey with this yeah. group of people, right? Yes. And it is sort of lost. We see it. We see you know attempts at it with Jumanji, which yeah. is fine. Like I, I think that that's a little more exhausting than this one. I think that this one hits the right balance and so it's not exhausting it's not it's not punny to the sense of uh rolling your eyes it's not in jokes to the point of confusion for people who are not in on a lot of the references it is trying to embrace a swath of people in the idea of this and they do it really well. I I will say that it's it's not an, a piece of art like you know in any sense of the word but it is enjoyable because, uh, you know, because some of the set pieces are just, you know, uniquely designed. You have to give credit to the directing team. They're the directing team behind um, Game Night, uh, which which was a surprise. A surprise hit. A surprise, surprise hit. hit. A surprise in quality as well. I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. And then here they're taking an idea that's been 
done before, you know, an animated series in the 80s. He had the Marlon Wayans, Jeremy Irons starring just feature. Awful. awful. Just, an, just an awful Horrendous. movie. Yeah. Like, like, like B-movie B quality, but without the charm. 100%. Except for Irons, who is just is hilarious in it in a yes, sort of inadvertent yeah. way, inadvertently because because he he sells he's a hundred percent yeah he, 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 to everything he, he's he does. ready to chew up the scenery, no yes. question about that. Absolutely, and he he almost does snarl a bit, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's truly awful film. I saw it in theaters, and even at a young age, when when I saw it in theaters when it came out, I was like, this is a bad movie. I know this is a bad movie. Even when I didn't have the state of articulation, I just knew it was. And so this idea has been ventured before we see, you know, D and D has had a like resurgence in reference, not only because of the 1980s in its domination with like stranger things, but also Dan Harmon does that show, you know, where he, he lot, yeah, podcasts, live play podcasts have been big. Some big celebrity boosters, right? Yeah. Apparently Joe Manginello is going to make a star, a, a Dragonlance uh, movie. Which is a, a particular setting of um, Dungeons and Dragons. This one happens in the Forgotten Realms, yeah. which which fans would know and nobody else would. Which is kind of the class, like Forgotten Realms is kind of the classic yeah. Dungeons and Dragons yeah. setting, like the most that sort of meets with like your expectation, right, of what Dungeons and Dragons is, yeah. kind of classic medieval style swords and sorcery type fantasy. Yeah, and I will say it's like. The the mode of the movie is as though you are watching in this in this kind of iteration, watching live podcasts, watching live play. It is kind of it's a scripted one, but it is it it feels as though it's like you you get introduced to the characters, they give you their backstory, you know something that is you know in you get invested and informs a lot of what's going to happen and how they respond to the situations as they go on, and and that opening scene in that Guy Ritchie realm tells you a lot about our lead character with Chris Pine and and his accomplice with Michelle Rodriguez their dynamic their their contrast their distinction and then it ends on a, a nice joke you know where they they've made this whole plan elaborate plan even though they're going to get pardoned anyway and yeah <laughs> and so they they you know it's it's a good bit and then it kind of slogs there for, for you know the the meandering, getting into the drama, and this is where this. I don't know about you, I just wasn't sold on the whole daughter not believing in her dad. Yeah, no, that's that's way too neat. Yeah, that's way, too, way neat. too neat. There's a lot of things that are just way too neat. Yes, I mean, so so what pro, what problems does the movie have? Yes, there are things that are way too neat in terms of just needing to be there to drive the plot. Yes, like the fact that she Problem. just immediately doesn't believe him and with with support. Like it's not only him telling her; it's uh, a mother figure, a friend who, who, who is backing him up, and, and who she we still plant, doesn't. Who we it. plant and pay off later that she really loves that woman. Yes, right. And I mean the fact that like Hugh Grant is so smarmy, kind oh of. Oh my god! Yeah, and, and, and is tailed by like the creepiest wizard you can imagine. I know. Like the idea that she's just like, oh no, I, I think it's these guys probably if, telling the if truth. It had, if it had been a spell, 
that's fine. Like, sell it that way. But they don't do that. They just, it's simply that she has been conned by this con artist in Hugh Grant, who is clearly just obvious, like, obviously manipulating and And then they try to sell the idea that he actually does love her and care about her, which I think it's just like, yeah, it's clear that they get stuck between like a couple of different ideas and it ends up just being too neat. Yes. I mean, I mean, the the sort of structural issues are that, right? It's too neat sometimes. Like, you have to have her reject him to drive the whole story. That's yep. the thing that's going to get him to go out and do the thing. Could be better. Could, so so that, better. that yeah. feels too neat and doesn't, doesn't, really, doesn't really work. And like all these movies, right, it ultimately becomes, the, the, the spine of it ultimately becomes just melodrama. Yeah, yes. right? It's just melodrama, yeah. right? They don't, the, 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 the trailer, you know, with with Whole lot of Love, right, one good thing about the trailer is that it doesn't give up a lot of the movie. I agree. Which yeah. I, I, I saw it so many times. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what this movie is. But it doesn't give away a lot of what is good about the And it even holds back certain things uh, that you might that other people would have put in the trailer. The Bradley Cooper cameo oh being the God. most obvious one. I think that that, fo- that and then fo- the following sequence where they're interviewing the dead I think that got me back. That got me into the movie. Yes, yes, and and they didn't put that shit in the trailer, which was smart, I right? Agree. Because because some of the jokes, the trailer gives away some of the jokes, but it doesn't give away either of those sequences, no. which are both uh, legitimately super entertaining, super and, funny, and, 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 and are, are all, the movie at its best. And yes, and br- the Bradley Cooper sequence, uh, immensely funny to see him in this cameo as a tiny person. Uh, and and not not a dwarf like he is literally he's just a halfling. A, a halfling. He's like a halfling. He's a full grown human being, but just tiny. For for you D and D fans out there, <laughs> yes, yes, he's a he's a halfling. And it's he he's how he plays the character is is funny and sweet and and then that's what it was. In that scene, they sold me on this disquieting lost romance between Ro- Michelle Rodriguez and Bradley Cooper which was surprising to me. I was like, oh, there is heart in this movie and there's heart in this scene more so than in what's being explicitly expositively told to us through via the Chris Pine experience, who is the focal point is the center. The daughter is the, the, the treasure really at the, at the center of the movie that needs to be stolen back, you know? Yeah. And so I liked that scene because it had layer, like in that scene, it, it uses humor to then, you know, yeah, it works because they play full, it straight. Yeah, full, it's a cla- yeah. classic thing where like the humor of it works because they play it straight. Yeah, and it folds you back into uh, the humor is is good, and then there's heart to it. And, and I was I was like, okay, there's something about this movie that I can l- latch onto and I can get into. Let me uh, let let's see where it goes. And then and then they go into the sequence where they're utilizing a spell to talk with the dead and they can only ask certain questions and uh how that unfolds is very well done like i i how it's intercut how how the the pacing of it the jokes land i was like okay there's something here this movie is decent let's let's see where it goes and then it 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 doesn't get worse from there it get it it actually kind of sustains its quality in some of these little adventures that yeah, they take. Yeah, and I mean, so they make a lot of... And so just from a technical standpoint, what good decisions do they make? Well, there are some, some like, chase and fight sequences that are actually good. Decent, which Which yeah. the bar is high for me at this point because, like, a bog-standard one, I've just seen so many of them. Like, the chase sequence with the shapeshifter I thought was really good. Yeah, like that, very like well the, done. Use the trick of the shape-shifting 
to make it really engaging. Yeah. Um, the, the big end set piece, which, of course, you have to have, is smartly done in the sense that it's really a lot of different things kind of cut together, and they don't stick with any one of them for terribly long, right? And they chunk it up in ways that work. And then they, they unify them at the right moments in an Avengers type of thing, you know, because they are a team and they're working together. Yeah, they split they split them up, and, uh, and, and it, you're right. They don't linger too long on each of those set pieces that are within the final, uh, within the finale. Yeah. And it's it's very well orchestrated, very well done like it's it, it just just how the camera moves where it orients you it's not confusing it's not uh depending on trickery again these guys are capable filmmakers if you watched game night it actually was surprising how cinematic they could use the visual language to enhance comedy you know, that's a good point about game night right Ga- one thing that game night really has had in its favor right is that it looks it looks like a movie, right? Yes. And there's so many move there's so many people who directed that and it would have looked like a sitcom. Yes. Right. It's like do you do you actually know about movies, bro? Right? <laughs> like, do you actually know about like cinematically elevating whatever it is you're doing, even if it's not like um gonna win any awards. Yeah. Right. And and yes, the, the the people making this movie understand that stuff on a technical level, both on the the micro level, like you're saying, in terms of how they use the camera, and on the more macro level of like pacing it and chunking it out well because it was like because the end sequence to me is like a series of good ideas none of which they stick with for too long yeah like they could have made the whole thing be in that fucking maze and it could have lasted 20 minutes like you mentioned (laughs) the avengers that's the avengers problem right is that invariably you're just going to get this endless sequence of people like fucking up a city yes right it's just gonna be it's gonna be 20 minutes of just a city getting fucked up and a bridge getting fucked up Right. I mean, we joked about this with Shazam. It's like, how many more of these things can they fucking do on a suspension bridge? Yeah. Before, like, I want to jump off a bridge. Right. Like, just kill me now. Like, like, just, I've seen this thing. The wires are going to pop and someone's going to have to hold it up. It's like, I've seen this. They do this shit in the Paw Patrol movie, for Christ's sake. (laughs) Like, come on. Like, don't make me see this anymore. I've seen it. There's nothing to do with this. Yes. There's no more to be done with the crashing through a city and then ending up on a bridge sequence yeah. it, it is it is exhausted you're it right is exhausted and and, <laughs> and this, that's what but that's what you can get from science fiction and fantasy right is at least i get a different setting the city yeah at least and, i get a different place well and and even right? though the labyrinth sequence you're right that they don't spend so much time in it because it is about the ingenuity of the characters I, what what this movie reminds me more of than say uh, you know, action adventure is almost espionage. Like they're it, like how yes. how they're going about to get these relics, how they're going about to figure out how to place things. You know, under you know in in a in a kind of spy venue, they they blend the two genres together because they, if if they were too powerful, if they were just fighting. Uh, like the Rene, uh, Jean, the, uh, yeah, the overpowered the, NPC. Yeah, Rene he's Jean Page. He's an overpowered NPC who then leaves. Right? Yeah, that's who then the, leaves, and, and that's a classic uh, DM move there, right? Give him the overpowered NPC for a while, and he'll tear shit up. But then he's gone, and, and it's he's like, gone. what are you gonna do now? Yeah, and you be- thought you would have that guy. Well, and, he's not gonna be there. And obviously, these characters can't do what he does, which which I like. I mean, I mean, this this it shows you that there's an awareness for the gameplay, but there's also an awareness for a lot of uh, characters who are in this world are not in the overpowered sense. They're going up against things that are powerful, but that's why it is it is communal. It is combative with with a team, and that's why. 
I, I think that the whole foundation of it, that honor among thieves, you know, it's, it's part of its title. It knows that its characters are in, in a kind of unified sense there. They, they have different ideas of themselves and where they're going, but the, they, they as misfits come together. And I like that. I like friendship movies in that way. Um, that act platonically, uh, even though there's suggestion of romance between one, one of the couples, but I actually like that the Michelle Rodriguez, Chris Pine character are not romantic. Yes, yes, fact, I think that's I, a very important part of it. I think it 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 solidifies an awareness of what what kind of bonds can be created. I, I actually really like your point about it being kind of an espionage movie. This so so I've I've brought up this point a million times. I I feel like I sound like a broken record, but. When we get into this realm of these kinds of movies, I, I do think it's interesting to think about, well, when, when one is ab- above average, when one's better than average, which this, which this one is, like, what makes it? Yeah. And I think that's one thing that this movie understands, and that's a very smart little trick. We talk about tricks. They do the Guy Ritchie trick. This is a good trick, and I'm sure that they aren't the first people to do it, but to blend, but but to make, to give yourself different ways that your quote-unquote action sequences or your suspense sequences or your set pieces can go and one way to do that is by doing that sort of genre blending right where they're not all just fights because you're going to have this up and down between talking and you know character building world building hanging out you're going to have this this oscillation between that and between scenes that are supposed to be exciting like the scene where they're infiltrating the carriage, yes. right? Like Great. that's a good example of a scene that is suspenseful and exciting, but isn't about people hitting each other, no. right? Yeah. Because at some point you can only do so much of people hitting each other. Yeah. Right. Like you can only do so much of that. And even when we talked about John Wick, it was about well, how did they do these different sequences? Yeah. How do they enhance it? How do they uh, alter it? How do they twist it around? Because you can't do the same thing over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Like you do, you do the first big one, which is kind of like the one you expect. Yeah. And then you have to keep on doing variations on that. You have to keep on pushing it in different directions. Do you push it with a cool location like the staircase? Do you push it with kind of a cool camera trick like the overhead thing? Yeah. Well, here the way they push it is, yes, they have different ways of doing it. Or they have different plans that are going to be put into place. And only only at the end, and this is actually, you know, this is kind of true to life in a certain sense, or at least true to like D&D. It's like... You don't always want to have to fight. You kind of want to find a part. part a good DM will give his party <laughs> solutions that aren't fighting. Yes, because yeah. fighting is the most random, right? Yes, 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 yes. Fighting is the most dangerous because it's the most random. Like you hit or you don't. You get hit or you don't get hit. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you have a good plan, you can um, minimize some of the downside risk. Which is fun. Like It's fun because that's embedded in the character of Chris Pye, where he's like, I have a plan, and I'll, ha- I'll have plan A, and then there's plan B. And then we're going back to plan D because you know that everything has kind of failed. It's kind of interweave as kind of a joke. But th- th- that's what I like. There's an endearing quality to an understanding of the game, what, what it can do, what, what are the aspects of it. And then it brings you along with that sense of adventure, that sense of uh, adaptation to a plan. And 
they always underscore each of these little scenarios with an element of humor that works, you know, because it could, they, they hold, it's not an onslaught of humor. It's not a constant use of, no, it's not. Thank God. Thank God. And, and they, they know when the, which characters are going to have a quip and which characters are going to be blunt and which characters are going to be naive. And they, they weave them all together. Well, well, they also use very old tricks like sight gags, like, like where, where it looks like Michelle Regas is like, she's trying to play it off. Like she's having sex in the trees when they're having an issue with yes, their portal. That's what I was getting to. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like it's like that's just a sight gag. That's all that is. It's the it's the oldest trick in the book. It's the it's oldest great. cinematic trick in the book. But yeah, it's not all based on oh we're going to do a thing and then someone's going to say something funny at the yes, end to put exactly. a little button on it, right? Yeah. It's not all that shit. It's not almost any of that shit. Yeah, I right? one of the funniest moments, and I, I it might be my favorite sequence in the movie. And it goes, it, it is a very D&D thing, and it was them trying to distract the guards with Chris Pine playing his lute, and the, yeah, that's the, great. the, Another great the spell starts going awry. I actually, I thought visually that was great, a great use of the visual absurdity of it. It complimented one of the characters who's not very confident in his magic abilities. <laughs> It also showcased like the mirroring of like what a Chris Pratt character, uh, Chris Pratt, Chris Pine. Too many There's too, too many Chris's. Too many Chris's. Too many Chris P's. Right? Too many Come Chris on. P's. Chris Pine being the best of the Chris's. Maybe I, th- I, yes. I think I would be in that yes. camp. Yes, in terms, of, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think the others even match up. Yeah, Hemsworth. I don't think the others have. Pratt, Evans. Well, Hemsworth is just hot, it right? Is hot. Although yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, honestly. Hemsworth has shown me more range than Evans or Pratt. That is true. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, Evans is the one that's the most mysterious to me. I have to say, I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah. Um, Pratt does one thing, but he does it really well. Yeah, right. He knows exactly what his appeal is. Well, we'll we'll be talking about him. And, I think in and, a week. <laughs> and um and so he he does one thing really well. Hemsworth has shown me a little bit of range, right? He was able to make that Thor serious to funny pivot, and he under Rush. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's Ru- Black Rush. Hat. Rush is yeah. Rush is a really underrated movie. Yeah. I, I really like Rush quite a bit. Yeah. Um. But yes, Pine is the one with the most range, and um, I mean, I think him, Rodriguez, and Hugh Grant are all really good in this movie. I think they Absolutely. they all are doing really good, really professional work. They, they, as a triangle, they make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. They kind of bring out something good in each other, right? Um, they give the movie what it needs, which is like, if you're going to have this sort of maniacal villain kind of behind everything, one smart thing they do is just they don't do much with that character because you can't do much, right? Yes. It, you just have them as like this kind of satanic evil in the background that just wants to destroy everything. Yeah. Uh, so they they give that character a front, which makes sense both in terms of the logic of the story and also in terms of the entertainment level of the movie, right? If you leave that character standing alone, they would just get boring so fast because what are they going to do? They're just there to be super fucking evil, which is fine. Yeah. But you either have to not show them much or, like, put them in the context of another character that's there. Yeah, that is to their, their favor. their man, essentially. Yeah, their favor is to not keep, you know, to hone in on the evil monologues the the evil intention behind they they state it they have some scenes with it uh but the the presence is that they're just lingering in the background 
that's where they should remain because it's a very un- it, when you put them at the forefront they're very uninteresting and that yeah they got nothing to say they got nothing to do right exactly. they're, just, they're, just, they're just trying to destroy shit so yeah, yeah just you make them look creepy and have them not do too much which yeah. is exactly look but that, that's what we get back to is just smart decisions smart decisions like you bring up the scene where the, the spell starts to fail another thing i really like about that scene is that what a smart and interesting use of special effects. Yeah. Why don't you just use special yeah. effects for anything other than to blow shit up? I know. Right? If you're going to use them, think about, like, what could I do with them other than just, Shows like, imagination. blow shit up yeah. and kind of make things look, whoa, it's a fucking dragon. Uh, and even then, they've got, like, the fat dragon, which is another... Chalky dragon. Which is another funny thing, right? It's I just, like it. I mean, it, it just... It, like I said, the movie is good because it's professional and because it shows that these people who made the movie, right... They they had a they had good ideas that were unique and that they were able to string together effectively. Yes. Right. Yeah. And there's not a lot of bad ideas. There's not a lot of false notes. I agree with you that structurally, like, yes, would I personally be happy if this happier if this movie was rated R and this group were more like, I don't know, like the, the Inglorious Bastards or the Dirty Dozen <laughs> or even the Ocean's Eleven. Yes, I would enjoy that movie more, but they're not gonna make that movie no. for me. They're not going to make a rated R Dungeons and Dragons movie where the people actually are kind of rock and roll and nasty. Like, like the one thing that one of the things that this movie was missing, I mean, it's funny because it, it doesn't drag. It's, it's longer, you know, it's 220, which is, you know, about, I was surprised how long it was, but you're right. It doesn't, it, drag. it doesn't drag for the most part. I agree with you. There's some little bits in the beginning where you're like, okay, let's keep it moving. Um, but I, I could have done with like an extended, like, tavern sequence right i could have done with like a real kind of you know like like raucous and fun and kind of gnarly like he's a part but you don't really get to see him sing or play very much he has a couple moments right like i could have done with um a moment or two like that yeah right but the movie you know that's that's maybe too much to ask it's it's hard it's hard because there's so much to take from you know that the the mythology the base of that game is extensive and so they're trying to they're trying not to alienate um, again this this goes to i think its detriment um which is minuscule because what they do utilize are smart decisions effective decisions creative decisions to keep it light keep it the pace driven and to keep the entertainment and uh your investment in the adventure as the leading cause of its decision. But you're right. A, a better movie would be more ingrained and more referential, more specific. They can't do that with this movie because it is, again, it's the four quadrant model at, at, at its very basis. They need it to be embraced by a larger number of people rather than the niche aspect of, of it being yeah. just for Dungeons and Dragons fans. Yeah. I mean, th- there's, there's a, a vein of, you know, we live in an age of a lot of role-playing games, right? There's a lot of small to medium-sized role-playing games that... I mean, Dungeons & Dragons is the white-hot center of role-playing games, which means that everything is either... is to, Every game that has come after it is, to some extent, either a copy of it or a response to it, yes. right? Yeah. And And there's a whole history and litany of games that have 
you know, kind of come in its wake, right, that are some combination of those two, right? They're made out of anger at it. They're made out of homage to it. They're made out of thinking that a previous version of it was the better version and the new version's not as good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, it's like the Bible in that way, right? It's kind yep. of the, this thing that yep. sort of looms over all the other things and that you really kind of, if you're working within that genre, within that space, you can't um, avoid it. It's kind of it's it's so it's such a center of gravity. It's yeah. the sun or the center of the galaxy. Pick your favorite metaphor, right? And one sort of vein of those games, right? There's a game called Torchbearer, which makes this point: is that adventures are weird, right? There's a joke of calling them murder hobos, right? Which I always think is a very funny term, right? <laughs> like basically, the people who are adventurers in a role playing game, where people say like, you know, I'm just gonna go out there and see what happens, right? Yeah. They're not they're most of the people in a world that you construct in the forgotten realms or in a fantasy world or a science fiction world or whatever kind of world you're playing in. Most of the people are not adventurers, right? They're zero level NPCs, we'd call it, which is to say they're just normal people, right? Yeah. They're normal people, maybe they have some skills, maybe they don't, whatever. But they don't like go out into the world like trying to find treasure or do your bounty hunting, right? Or all the things that are like the world of adventurers. The point being that the people who do this are probably just like criminals, right? Like yeah, they're weird. Yeah, they're yeah. fucked up. And you'd love to see a movie about characters like that. It really explores like what is the kind of person that like goes out and decides, you know what? I'm just going to kind of go out there into the world and kind of live live by the seat of my pants, <laughs> this, right? This needs a little more... Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and its DNA, doesn't it? Like, it needs the characters to be like, uh, I, I, who, does he, who are you to say that you're a king because you got some aquatic, uh, you know, sword out of a river? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, it comes from the distinction from the masses, not from farcical aquatic ceremonies. I, you need, like, an embedded commentary with it because that awareness i think lightens it brings it brings up the texture and so the movie suggests irreverence more than it actually engages in it right absolutely and yeah and part of that is just because each character basically is going to hit one beat we know what the beat is from the get-go michelle rodriguez is going to get over her trauma and move on with her life Mm mm-hmm uh, the sorcerer is going to believe in himself. Believe in himself. The yeah. tiefling's going to start to believe in humans and think that they don't all suck. <laughs> and Chris Pine is going to accept that his wife is gone. Yes. Right? We know that that's what's going to happen. Right? There's no great... We know the wife's not coming back. Yeah. You know, we know... Um, I will say, I will say though, with with that knowledge, I think the, where they land because of the platonic friendship relationship between Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, how they are dedicated to those roles, how they have this whole movie, and the response, even though it's the right response, the moral response, or the the one that just feels right, it, it's quite emotional. I think it's effective. Oh, no, it works. It, it works. works. I had tears in my eyes 100%. It works, and I didn't know that they would play it out in exactly that way. It makes sense. I mean, the darker version, which this movie wouldn't do, is would to have her bring her back and have it be bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the movie sort of alludes to why it would be bad. Like, it's one thing, you know, if you've just died and they bring you back, right? Sure. Because you kind of have just, you're just right on the edge of whatever that veil is. Bit, yeah. If you're past that veil and you're way past and someone yanks you back, right? Especially in a, in a fantasy world where there is probably a realm you're where some, you're You existing. are somewhere else, yeah, right? You are, you somewhere, are else. somewhere else. In the yeah. mythology of D&D, right? 
you have you are on or I mean it's not clear, right? But there are many planes of existence yeah. and you may well have gone on to your version of heaven or nirvana or the happy hunting grounds or wherever like in the world of D, those places like actually exist they are a real thing yeah right and there are notions of what might happen to you your essence or your soul or whatever you want to call it afterwards so yes the idea of like taking someone from way out there and pulling them back is messed up right yeah. and it could it could have some very bad um knock-on effects Absolutely. right whereas doing it to someone who just died is like you know is less bad right because it's not you know it's not uh it's also the question there's a question of like well what ha is it her body you know it's like there's a lot of interesting hey, sure there's Absolutely. a lot of interesting so i mean in a more dark messed up story you could start with bringing her back and have that be a bad thing a bad thing yeah. that's a different movie too yeah. that's a that's a horror movie really yeah uh which role-playing games also dabble in including D D. But the point being, at the end of the day, what do we have? We have we have melodrama. We have characters whose arcs are predictable. But I agree with you. The final moment is the most satisfying because I didn't because you don't know that it's going to play out in quite that particular yeah, way. Yeah, like you know that he's not going to bring his wife back. You know that's a non that's a non starter. But what you don't know is exactly what is going to happen instead yeah. and the way they play it out in particular is moving it's a surprise effective. it's moving and effective i agree and and as the melodrama in the movie goes it's um it's good it works yeah, yeah it I works agree. I, a couple other just minor points but i think worth making i really like the paladin character yes um yeah. because he's not a standard paladin i think it's always good to um you know we, we live in the age of like uh uh, how apparently going woke makes you go broke. That seems to be the alleged thing. <laughs> but this, but this to me is an, and, and there is plenty of tokenism out there yeah. in the world, and plenty of corporations trying to launder of their yeah. uh, their rapacious tendencies by acting like they care about this group of people, that group of people. But I, I always like a paladin that's not the standard, like uh, wears a big suit of armor and is sort of a you know blonde eye, blonde eyed, blue haired. Uh, so the, I'm doing a lot of inversions today. I mean, the idea of the paladin, right, is this like um, is this like quasi Christian, yeah, like kind yeah. of crusader holy warrior type that's kind of the archetypal paladin and whenever you bring in any sort of paladin character that's not like that but still he's he's definitely a paladin right he's definitely a holy a paladin is a holy warrior that's what a paladin is a paladin is a a knight or a warrior that's in service of a like a martial servant of some sort of god yeah right yeah and they don't really get into his theology particularly but like he is clearly a paladin and i i always like it when you get a paladin that's that's um that's different. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so I liked that a lot. And I thought that the, I thought that that was another example of them knowing exactly what they were doing. Cause they, they, they push the humor of that character and the humor of his interactions exactly the right amount. And then they get rid of him and it yeah. could have gotten tired if they kept doing it. He was, but, uh, they, but they, they jettison him at just the right moment. Uh, I, I always, I said his name wrong earlier. I think it's Rege. Jean Page. Um, I think he's in Good looking guy, good sounding great, name. Great looking guy. Uh he there was rumor at one point if there was going to be a black 
James Bond that his name got brought up. Uh, you know that he would be the new James Bond. I don't think this they're role actually... apparently they can't can't give away now, right? They can't find the anyone to take it. I'll take it. I think. Well, I th- there's these rumors about Aaron Taylor Johnson, but I don't know. It's uh, I, I, maybe they've fallen through, but I, I think they keep talking about it. But yeah, uh, he very very good, Ve- very good in his performance. Uh, has shades of a, a you know again a, a, a character that lacks humor lacks identity really is what it is because he is this NPC he's just this thing that is walking amongst them and has like a directive and they play they play with it very well like you know one of the jokes is in the trailer is when he's trying to explain uh, how the bridge works and then uh, it, it collapses based off of the ineptitude of our our wizard our, our budding wizard. And uh, <laughs> his reaction in the trailer is one of the, the pieces that I was like, well, it could be, it could be good because he's his deadpan seriousness uh, he uses to great effect. Yeah. Uh, and he, he is very good. I, I mean, the acting in this across the board, I mean, other than the, you know, the nothing uh, evil entity that, you know, is, is, I mean, just they, they make jokes about how serious and creepy she is. I mean, so she's playing it effectively. I mean, but it's still standard. But yeah, and that does go to like, it's not so much that she's weak or that the character is weak, but the fact that like nobody's like, I don't know about this. Yeah. That's a little weak. Yeah, I agree. Like that's that's the too neat part, right? Like the fact that the yeah that the kid is totally bought in on like smarmy ass Hugh Grant and this like legitimately super creepy woman who's just chilling around where he is. Again, it, like, if, like the, if it was magic, I'd believe it, well, but it just because, wasn't. Because, I mean, like, the scene, like, where she freezes the tea and puts her finger, that's a good little bit of business, right? Yes, where it's like, I I'm agree. just, just going to leave this right here. Yeah. Right? This We are we're both big fans of, like, late period smarmy Hugh Grant, right? <gasps> Hugh who Grant just, is amazing. Who just, but uh, speaking of, of late period smarmy Hugh Grant, did you go to see this at an AMC? I'm assuming you do. I did. Yeah. That pre-sequence where they do the, like, thank you for coming into the yes, theater. Yeah. He's just sitting there just looking so awkward. And at the end, he's just like, here's the movie. I'm like, oh, they're going to do a joke here because he just looks so out of place. And, like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing here. And he said, he just says, like, here's the movie. I'm like, that's a real wasted opportunity right there. I mean, they probably just threw a camera in front of them and were like, hey, read this real quick. Like that that was it. Like, These there was things probably... like congratulating people for going to the movies. I'm just I think is like I don't need that. I don't need that in my unless life. you're gonna do it as a joke, don't do it. I agree. And even as a joke, I think you can do it once. Uh, yes. I see the Nicole Kidman thing once, I think it's funny. I see it the fiftieth time, I'm like, get this fucking thing out of here. I know. And when people cheer for it, I'm like, shut the fuck up, please. I, I am there. I'm I'm over it. I'm, I'm just gonna start it. booing. I'm just gonna throw I'm gonna throw popcorn at the screen when she Boo. Just <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you, Nicole. I hate this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm there. I'm there. Tom with was you. right. <laughs> I just like well, there. Hey, that's uh, maybe a little too far. <laughs> Tom, well, the, actually, their relationship was uh, inspiration for the Michelle Reed Rodriguez Bradley oh, Cooper scene. Oh, that's very true. I think the size difference is similar. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so yeah. I just I this congratulate. I mean, it's such like a it's. It's something out of like a dystopian late I, capitalist it feels nightmare. Condescending. But it's but it's also I think the people on the screen really mean it. I think that they feel actually touched that people come to the theater. It's like that clip that was circulating around where Steven Spielberg thanks Tom Cruise for saving movies by insisting on theatrical debu- distribution of Top Gun Maverick. It's hard to watch. I agree. It's hard to watch because it reminds you that these people 
they are way up their own asses. Uh, like they yeah. are way up there. They're up there. Um, they're 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 getting it. They're they they might be heading towards their small ball. How far up they are up, <laughs> and it's <sighs> disconcerting because to be congratulated. Like, we love the movies. We talk about this shit every week. You talk about movies 17 times a week on podcast, Kyle. You're constantly talking about <laughs> movies. I talk about movies somewhat less, but I love movies clearly. We love movies. But this, like, congratulating someone for a consumer choice just strikes me as the worst of... I mean, it's it's I, it's yes. an even more degraded version of the whole conscious consumerism Whole Foods seventh generation. You bought this, and it makes you a better person. Uh, it all, it's like you bought this, and you're cultured. You really care about the cinema because you're here. It's just, Jesus. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't need any pats on the back for my decision to spend a couple hours of my day sitting here watching entertainment. Watching, watching an entertainment. I don't need yeah. anyone to thank me for that. I agree. Right. This isn't your student film. No. Right? This isn't your little avant-garde uh, eight-millimeter thing that you're showing me in your basement, right? You can thank me for coming to see that. You you don't need to thank me for coming to see the Dungeons & Dragons movie. I, I, I feel no compulsion. Uh, I mean, I like doing the podcast with you, but I feel no moral compulsion. And There's I certainly a, don't feel morally elevated by my decision no, to do it. It, it's, it strikes a more hollow tone as compared to a similar thinking and notion when say earlier you know earlier in this podcast we talked about concerts festivals when you go and see a show and they're like we can't do this without you the fans oh yeah if you're standing there in front of me (laughs) exactly i that that is legitimate like that feeling and connection is palpable and honestly is true but these people who are just behind a camera like if you had shown up at the theater which apparently, like last night was uh, was uh, April first. Uh, they uh, Ari Aster was supposed to do a uh, three hour cut midsummer screening, and instead surprised everyone with his new movie as an April Fool's joke. And he and Joaquin Phoenix showed up and were like, "Thank you for being here. Thanks for showing up, and I hope you enjoy the movie." That strikes personal because he's there. Oh yeah, yeah. if if you're there in person and you have a full house screening and you come and say thanks for coming, of course, yes, that's totally normal. But, but you're It'd right. It'd be weird if you didn't say that. This filmed aspect and the, and it comes from it, it's always the movies that are going to do well or or, or at least going to well, make millions. Well, actually, of dollars. the funniest one, and I think I mentioned this when we reviewed it, is. The one in front of Babylon, in particular, they say, like, you're seeing this the way it's supposed to be seen in a full theater. Like, in a crowd. They say full or crowded or packed. They use some word to indicate that they think there are people in the theater. And, of course, I saw it with, like, three other people. Yeah, because it did right? not do and, well. And that was the one where I, I thought, okay, now we're into the farce. Yeah. You know, or maybe that's the tragedy and this is the farce. I'm not really sure which. <laughs> but there was definitely something about it that was both funny and sad when yeah. they when particularly with the way uh one of the actors phrased it or it was like seeing it in a crowded theater full of that I was like oh well you know you're wish casting a little bit here and it did not work it didn't work no it is uh i mean so that's interesting because these are just extra features about the the film that uh, i th- i think are interesting because what is our relationship with movies? What is it becoming? Is it, it, it in, in, and what do they think it is? Is a is is in, an interesting division. I I think that they the people are just unaware 
of what the experience of choosing entertainment, what that is like for us and that we can, we can wait. We can, uh, you know, keep in mind that it's going to be on streaming service, which is not necessarily what, you know, what these, you know, what people want, such as Steven Spielberg, but for him to not be aware or, or to that, that, that the cinema experience has become, I mean, it's gone downhill really in a large, in a large way. You know, it, it, it is not being preserved visually in the same way that it, it, it that, that some theaters uh, keep in mind and that, that they want in the pristine delivery of the experience. The audiences are not very respectful anymore. Like you're thanking a lot of these people, but really they're not a lot you of tell them, them are, to shut the yeah, fuck shut up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Really that, that honestly, I would like, <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Honestly, I would like someone uh, someone to be like, "Hey, just make sure you shut the fuck up and respect." They have these cell phone ads and like, "Don't talk on your phone. Be respectful." Nobody listens to Let's those. Let's all go to the lobby. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. It's funny we started about overpriced power trip, and I think that I think that there's a, a, a connection here, right? Which is that it could just be. You know, there are certain experiences that loom very large at, like, one particular moment in history, but then go away, right? And we can be so encompassed by the moment that we live in that we think that we're seeing something universal. Yeah. Cinema, the movie theater in the 20th century is a very kind of specific phenomenon, right? Just the way that theater used to be, you know, and, and we've already seen this happen to so many things, right? Theater used to be democratic performance yeah. in the time of, you know, we look at Shakespeare, who is the most elevated of writers in English, right? And we think of going to Shakespeare plays as high culture, right? And of course, we know that at the Globe Theater, there were groundlings who paid almost nothing and who would yell at the performers and throw shit at them, right? I, I want I want to be there. Well, but, even, <laughs> but even if you are there, it's... Um, it's uh, it's a pantomime of that. I, right? I agree. It's not an organic yeah. thing, yeah. right? And so too with the cinema in the 20th century where, where it was this cheap form, relatively cheap form of mass entertainment um, where now we've seen the combination of things, right? We've seen the, the price of it increase. It's super expensive to go to the movies now. Super expensive. Um, we've seen other options proliferate, Right. It's like if it's going to cost me $100 to take my family of four to go see a movie or I can buy a really good flat screen TV for $500, it's not hard to figure out where I'm going to put my yeah, entertainment exactly. dollar. Yeah, Right? Like it's just, it's just not – it's clearly a luxury, right? It takes time. It takes money. It's um, it's the inconvenience of getting in your car, driving, parking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all those things. There's 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 costs even beyond – the, the actual cost of going to the movie. Um, going to sporting events used to be a lot cheaper. Yeah. Now it's a lot more expensive. Now a lot of people are priced out, or it's a luxury rather than something that people, particularly guys, would just do like which, every other day which after is they a got shame. off work. It's a shame because like the, the, the foundation of like baseball and like going to a baseball game, there were cheap seats. It was for more working class sort of people. And now it, it that luxury kind of space, it's such a bummer. Like Katie and I would love to go to baseball games and we, we are planning on doing so, but we have to plan out ahead and that we can only do maybe two. 
like for an entire season of multiple like hundreds of games where we're it's 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 really unfortunate and this this is the, the and it gets into the mentality katie doesn't see a lot of these movies with me she would get uh amc stubs but a lot of these movies she's like mm, i can wait uh or maybe you let me know if they're worth watching and maybe i'll watch it eventually but a, a lot of times it's, it isn't worth it and and you know the amc stubs I, makes it more digestible you know in the pricing but for katie to like spend 15 to 20 dollars to go see dungeons and dragons which by the way is is a good movie but i don't know if i could say that it's justified in its cost to like go out of your way to you know shell out a hundred dollars for your family of four to go see it have snacks i mean it's 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 an expensive outing and it's not supposed to be but but also i mean part of the reason that we go to the movies or I, i'm gonna speak for myself but i think yeah. you'll agree yeah is that I just like to be in a movie theater. Like I, I like do. to sit in that seat and be in the dark room with the big screen. I do. I agree. Like I like that experience. And even if I don't like the movie, the experience of sitting in the theater for a couple hours is not is is a good way f- to me to kill time. I agree. Yeah. But most people would rather sit in their house. Mm-hmm. Most people would, especially with their streaming television and you know with all the entertainment options they have available. For most people going out to do something it, you know it costs them spoons it does not add to their spoon count right yeah right and for me i'm the kind of freak who's constituted such that i just want to go sit in a theater sometime and i don't really care much like i want the movie to be good i hope it's good but even if it's bad well we'll talk about how fucking bad it is sure or i'll just be like this shit sucked <laughs> right but i but i won't feel i'll wish that the movie was better but i won't feel like I wish I had that two hours back. No, I'm like, well, I enjoy sitting in the movie theater. I I do find the environment of a movie theater, the black, the black, you know, environment, is peaceful to me. It's meditative, and the movie can add or deter from that peacefulness. You know, if it's really bad, I start fidgeting. Like, but ultimately, but even then, seeing a bad movie has a certain pleasure to it for I, people like us. Yes, right? I You're agree. like, oh, we're gonna fucking roast this thing. Yeah. Like when I saw Babylon, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Like I felt so bad at the end of it, but I also felt like I'm gonna roast this thing, and that's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'll you'll get feel, something out of it. You'll take right? that negativity and you'll channel it into. So, uh, you know, avenues of productivity and you no, know, just I, something I agree. to talk about, right? There's a social element too, where it's like, I like to see movies by myself actually, but I love to talk about them. Right. Which is why we yes. do this. Yeah. Uh, but, but we're the freaks, right? And actually we're not even freaks. We're just fans. Right. And once you get down to just the fans, right. For so long, even into our lifetimes, this was it for mass entertainment for most people. Uh-huh. That's like the movie was always the cheapest date you could do, right? Cheaper than going out to a meal, cheaper certainly than going to like live entertainment, right? Yeah. It was the cheapest date. It was audiovisually way superior to anything that you could ha- make happen in your own home, right? You could see movies there that you couldn't see anywhere else, and it was a long lag. It wasn't a month or two months. It was six months before you were going to see that shit at home on a VHS cassette, on a DVD, right? So there were a lot of things driving people to the theater, right? And it would drive it to the theater for lots of different movies, not just a select few movies, right? Yeah. which is why they do they desperately need these top guns. They need these movies that are like everything, right? Where they're kind of good on their own terms 
and they have a nostalgia poll and they have a star poll and they get people talking and people are telling people word of mouth like you should really go see this new Top Gun movie. That's the kind of movies they need. And there's all these other movies that are just like, I don't know, just trying to find some kind of oxygen yeah. in a world where um, there's a lot of fires burning, yeah. right? And there's not a lot of Very oxygen. Much. There's not a lot of oxygen to go around for all these fires that are burning out there, right, that are attracting people's attention, yeah, right? And this is why it's so funny. When I, when I fell down, I try to go on Twitter almost never, but occasionally people send me tweets, and then I'll start looking at tweets. And I fell for five minutes, as I, as I sort of alluded to earlier, down the go woke, go broke, hashtag rabbit hole. I'm like, well, what are these people on now? And I saw a lot of them, they were just like, uh, this is why people don't go see your Hollywood movies, you Hollywood sickos, because you've gone woke. It's like, no, people don't see them because they've got streaming. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys need to invest a little time in Occam's Razor here. I mean, it's so funny how people... Um, how much post hoc reasoning there is, you know, in the world, right? Where something you don't like doesn't do well, and you assume it's because of the reason that you don't like it. Yeah, exactly. Right? As opposed to the very obvious reason, right? Which is that pe- people just, it takes a lot to get people off their asses. I mean, that... It takes, l- it takes a lot to get people off their asses, because I mean, on their ass, there's a lot of good shit to do. I mean, with that logic, you know, go woke, go br- broke... Uh, that that would insinuate that if you go the opposite, if you don't go woke, you will you will warrant them a lot of profits. And I don't think that worked out for the Daily Wire and their production company. Uh, you know, <laughs> in fact, I think it went against them. They, they had a movie, uh, you know, western starring Gina Carano after her fall, <laughs> after she got kicked off the Grogu show. Yeah, after the Grogu it's show. Like we can't let someone with these views be at the Grogu show, yeah, which was silly. I get it, but that so then they go and politicize the firing and hire her onto a movie guess what happened ben uh the the, their audience the daily wire audience uh didn't respond well to the movie because it was an autonomous individual badass woman in the forefront of the movie they were like she couldn't beat up these men she but the movie also probably sucked (laughs) sucked. but they also responded like the the, the, the thing is if if your shit sucks right there are lanes out there for people usually to be talking heads, right? Like when they offered all that money to Charlie Kirk, I was like, man, you can make a lot of money as Charlie Kirk, who's just a dumb guy. He's very dumb. Yeah. But there are, like, think about someone like Tim Poole. Like, that guy's out there making money being one of the dumbest people, like, has ever walked the planet, so far as I can tell, right? But there are lanes there. But people still want their entertainment to be good. Like, people still, you know... Like pandering will only get you so far. Yeah. Right. I mean, people do want to be pandered to. They do want to be placated. They I don't do. get me wrong, but um, if you can't do it well from a purely technical standpoint, you know, people want people don't want to know that they're being pandered to. Yes. That's the great problem yeah. with pandering, right? And if you're out there just looking into a camera, saying whatever random shit you're saying, well, that's what you do. And people will get angry and roll with it because commentary is exactly what it appears to be. Yeah. Right? So even if you're pandering in some sense, it feels honest. Yeah. But if you try to package that into some two-hour movie, which is bad and clearly pandering and is clearly being made to pander, but is being packaged as a piece of entertainment, 
Well, people are going to have a visceral negative reaction to that because they don't want to think they're being pandered to. Yeah, there has to be a, an illusion, a facade to it. They want to think that they're with you, like you that you are running on a parallel. Like, yes, you're saying you're the one talking, I'm the one listening, but I'm hearing what you're saying, I'm understanding it, I'm agreeing with you. You and I are on on a level, mm-hmm. right? When you are just doing commentary. When you're like trying to pre-digest it into a bad movie and feed it to me like a mother bird, I know that I'm being pandered to at that point. I know that that's pandering. Yeah. And I'm going to have a visceral negative reaction to it, even if I agree with your sentiment. Yes, I agree. Right. Yeah, I've seen plenty of that. It's It's a very weird dynamic, right? Because, you know, you have to... You know, you have to make people feel like they're the agents, right? Yeah. If yes, you try, if you try to take that away from them, they're gonna respond negatively. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, well, this was an interesting conversation about Dungeons and Dragons. It went into areas that I didn't necessarily anticipate. Various dungeons, various dragons, various. Yeah, I I will say, we need th- this. Reminds me of a similar movie last year and I think we can reiterate, is that there was a lost city uh, with uh, Channing Tatum yes, and Sandra Yes, yeah, good, good parallel. I, you know, a movie that's not substantial in, like, the excellence or art, art artistic vein of movies, but just in the delivery of, uh, of quality entertainment, something that's self-aware enough, knows what, it, what its aims are, and, and goes about hitting those expectations and with, with, with a, a hint of surprises here and there, not, not too many. And does it, does it so effectively uh, and effortlessly that it, it makes it so easy to, to watch it. It, it is breezy. It, it, even though over two hours, the pacing is very well done and they orient again. It's, it's knowing what, what they are doing. No, no. They know the tone. They know the characters, and then they serve that quite effortlessly. I kept saying it's the guys from Game Night. I should actually say their names: Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Uh, the Johns coming in to do battle with the Daniels in name teams. <laughs> the Jonathans uh, or the Let's, Johns, yeah. And uh, Johns versus Daniels. John, John Francis. Let's have a tag team. We just had WrestleMania. Let's have a tag team that's battle. True. That's true. Let's have a tag team battle between Daniels Johns and, and Daniels. Johns. Uh, I like John Francis Daly. I've always liked John Francis Daly. You know, he he was on Freaks and Geeks uh, and has, you know, went on to be on Bones. And so now he's a filmmaker with uh, his partner, Jonathan Goldstein. And honestly, I'm excited for what they do at at this point, because even if it's not of a heightened degree that I want, if they're going to serve up, uh, you know, entertainment like Game Night and Dungeons and Dragons that serve in a realm of the unexpected by knowing what they're knowing what the genre is knowing that they can blend these things knowing that they can have cinematic language to what they do i i thought i thought this was very good um am i am i going to hurry out and watch it again no but if someone wanted to put it on in a kind of passive watch i would because it's it's worth it's worthy to be seen it's funny it's it's charming it's inventive in the right ways. We need more. We need more of these to be our mid mid budget or to to low high budget blockbuster movies. If we have, if every movie was like this, like it, not like this exactly, but it was operating on that realm of ingenuity, creativity, 
in the genres that they're tackling, it would be a, an amazing uh, theater run. Like uh, we, I would, I would, I would be excited again to go to the movies. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, we this is like what we talked about earlier about liking to go to the movies for its own sake. For those of us that enjoy going to the movies, we need good movies, right? They're not all going to be great. It's too much to ask. It's too much to ask for them to all be great. Yeah, they're just not. And honestly, it might even be daunting, right? If they were all great, <laughs> that's true. We need good movies. We need good movies. We need movies like this. We need movies that um, we enjoy watching, that make us happy to watch, that we get something out of, that provides some sustenance to us that may not be exactly what we're looking for, but nevertheless scratch that itch of wanting to spend a couple hours in this other world, in this dark room, enjoying ourselves, driving some pleasure yeah. from from the cinematic experience, right? Yeah. We need movies like that. And this is a good movie. This is a good movie. And we're pro-good movies. Pro-good movies, always. So will the Mario Brothers movie be a good movie? <sighs> it's hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> hard to say, Ben. I mean, I'm, you know, that's the thing is we sound negative sometimes, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. I hope they're all good. I as well. I hope they're all good. I hope God, the new Next Guardians movie is good. I hope it's good. I don't know that it'll be good. I don't know. Yeah, but I hope. I, yeah, I don't know I if there's any um, any juice left in that particular uh, orange. Mario, and obviously that's one that we're going to talk about. We we could probably talk about two movies next week. Well, what's uh, coming out? What else? Well, we we got? we got Air. The you know the <laughs> courting I mean, a legend. I mean, oh god. What do, what do, what do I? Oh yeah. But we that, all, you know, a, I, I'll say I've said it before. I'll say it again, man. For Affleck to be the producer and put himself with Matt Wig is just that's heroism that's right there. A, that's heroism. I mean, heroism. you give trust that, the content. Give that guy a give that guy an honorary Oscar it's for got, that decision. It had, it had some good reactions out of South by Southwest, but then again, that's South by Southwest. I don't necessarily trust it. <laughs> well, this is this is sort of. Matt Damon is like like Ford versus Ferrari. Like this is a very yeah. this sort of business origin story. Yeah, this is a very underdog kind of story because it's all about how you know Nike wasn't a big deal. Ford going up against Ferrari. I, this is a very straight. I did not have this one on the cards as being a kind of emerging subgenre that he would be the the head of. Yeah, I, you know. I guess he kind of has that scrappy, like he's attractive, but not, you know, Hemsworth level attractive. He's scrappy. He has that kind of Boston goodwill hunting scrappiness to him where like he kind of reads as an entrepreneur ready to go up against, you know, <laughs> it's a very, it's just a very weird. I mean, one of the, one movie is whatever. One movie is just a movie. That's just a one off. But that this is like emerging as a. A kind genre. of sub sub genre. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. This is. I did not have this one. No, I did not have this one on the. I mean, we don't have to on do the bingo it, card. But but I, I agree with you. It is a strange little emergence in like Matt Damon's career because I I don't I don't know. Maybe he's at that age. The, the, these are the age of people that he can play. I don't know. But you're right. There 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 is some similarities to the two. Uh, I mean, I guess Moneyball is kind of the antecedent, to, you know, these sort mm -hmm. of business dramas. I like Moneyball. Moneyball is good. I agree with you. I mean, when you reach a certain age, you know, you don't want to play Jason Bourne anymore or whatever. You're looking for a certain kind of role that has excitement and intrigue to it, but it's not about kicking ass or yeah. 
doing gunfights. I get that. Yeah, I get I agree. that. I mean, I, I, th- I mean, I mean, I think Damon is someone who generally has had a good track record in choosing at least good movies, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he's someone who he doesn't end up in a lot of shit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you might not love them all, but he he seems to have a nose for good material and has put together a long and productive career. I mean, him and Affleck both, right? Credit where credit's due. They've made a lot of movies. They've had a, I mean, Affleck in some ways has kind of brought himself back from the dead a couple of times, which yeah, is, yes. I guess, in a, in a way, uh, and got the higher heights in terms of like awards recognition and things like that. He, his trajectory in some ways is the more improbable. Plus like getting together with JLo twice. I mean, that alone is not, you know, who, who had that? I didn't. Right, who had that? <laughs> but, uh, you know, good on you, Ben, fellow Ben. We we got Ben Solidarity. But uh, kind of wild, long careers that have had a lot of different elements to them and put them in a lot of different positions, you know? So we'll we'll see. I mean, I, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm interested enough. And I think that one's enough. streaming too, right? So I don't it might be, yeah. I, mean, be I, I, need to, I need to take a look. Uh, we also got the Owen Wilson starring Paint. Which looks like a satire of sorts. I oh yeah, this is where he plays Bob Ross, yeah. uh, Bob Ross inspired, inspired type. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then Kelly Reichert has a new movie coming out called Showing Up. Uh, she's she's done some great movies like Meek's Cut Off and First yes, Cow. Yes, yes, we, we, yeah, definitely. And so that's on the agenda for next week. A, a variety. Well, of that's a lot. Choices. That's I mean, a, we won't talk sampler. all four. That's a real poo-poo platter of. We'll figure it out, and then and then a, a week from now, I think I guess we'll talk Renfield, uh, and it looks like Bo is afraid it's going to be an IMAX, so maybe we'll try and do those too. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, I, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of movies. We're doing. We're talking movies. We're talking movies. His name is Kyle. He knows movies and you don't. I know movies and you don't. Is his Patreon. Got some exciting. Got a Hitchcock season coming up. I'm very fired up about that. Yeah, well, the, it's uh, been, Kyle it's needs to go into hibernation. <laughs> He's looking like a bear that needs to go into hibernation. We'll try to get this guy a week off. Maybe I don't know. We'll see if we can get him. I've, I've get him back up to fighting form. Honestly, I've had too much time off. This has been a problem. That's what's stressing me yeah, out. Yeah, then I'm actually going to get him fighting. We'll get him into Baldwin combat sports. That'll get him. <laughs> that'll get him going. I'm Ben. I have a Substack called uh, the Dead Reckoner or just Dead Reckoner. Yeah, uh, you can go look at that if you want. Uh, this has been up to date cinephile. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we love you all. Yes, we do. <laughs>